Welcome to the Reflective Teacher Podcast, brought to you by the Jewish United Fund of Chicago. I'm Martha Weil, and together with my real-life co-teacher and co-host, Lindsay Elliott, we're bringing you interviews with experts in early childhood education. We hope these stories will inspire you and give you that aha moment that we as teachers find so refreshing and clarifying. Over the course of this episode, we hope you'll reflect and make connections that will help you bring intention and motivation to your classroom each day. On today's episode, we talk about documentation with an amazing educator named Sharon Goldman. Sharon is the assistant director at Mariah Early Childhood Center just outside of Chicago. She is also co-founder of Ideal 18, which is an innovative program that pairs younger and older generations together through intentional and creative experiences. Documentation is a huge passion of Sharon's, and we have an in-depth conversation with her about the why and the how behind documenting children's work. She shares some awesome practical tips for getting started on documenting and how to use and revisit documentation with your students. She also talks about how you can work with your teaching team to get the most out of your documentation process during the day. So without any further ado, here is our interview with Sharon Goldman. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We wanted to start out, Sharon, first by saying that we knew um, that we wanted you for at least one episode because I don't think we've ever personally met, but I've been in the same room as you a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you're pretty zen and and um there was actually one time because i um did the uh chicago teachers project uh-huh. and one time we met at your school at mariah and um i was looking for my meeting and i came into your room and i was like she would probably know where it is so i came into your room and i asked you like do you know where the CTP meeting is? And you came over to the door and you like lowered your voice, like so like calm and just, I don't even know. It's like almost a whisper. <laughs> and you were like, I'm not sure where it is. But you were, it just, you like almost set the tone for your classroom. And I was like, oh, she's, she's good. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I just, I, I go. I don't know. I guess it's like I kind of uh, I kind of feel like we all you know we all put out an energy and um, children bring so much energy. Like I always joke that if I could just like in the morning bottle some of that up and put it in my coffee, um, I would. But I can't. So I figure you know if I put out if I put out kind of a low frequency. Um, then even when it's met with all that excitement, like it'll just kind of blend and find, find a happy medium. (laughs) So that's amazing. Yeah. I feel like it's so good to be intentional like that, especially at the start of the day. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad you found your meeting though. I did. I found the meeting. (laughs) You, I think you told me where it was. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, so you can you can stop me if I'm going too deep, but I guess I kind of will start start as they say at the beginning with the fact that I, I was blessed to grow up with a mother who's an early childhood educator and director and consultant. So, you know, technically when people say how many siblings do you have, I say I have one brother, but I kind of also grew up with a sister, which was Mariah ECC. You know, we heard stories at the table and, and really kind of like soaked that up growing up. Um, and 
after college, I did Teach for America in St. Louis. So like two weeks after I graduated college, I was teaching in a classroom. Um, I was student teaching, but they kind of threw me in by myself (laughs) Um, in a classroom in the inner cities in Houston. And two months later, I had my own classroom in the north side of St. Louis. So um, being in an under-resourced school, I really was privy to the direct impact that like the No Child Left Behind Act was having and, um, and the way in which kind of all these like bigger systemic decisions were really impacting my classroom on a micro level and, and more importantly, impacting the children and families that I was with every day. So it led me after finishing Teach for America to go to law school and become an attorney. Um, and I quickly learned that, you know, I came into this attorney position so idealistic about helping children on a systemic level and, you know, quickly learned that there's a lot more to law than helping people, uh, unfortunately for me. And so um, at that point, I had the opportunity to take a sabbatical in Israel, which turned into a research fellowship in Israel, which turned into meeting my husband and having two children in Israel. Um, And when we moved back here, back to America, we had our third child. um, And I was looking for something that was really going to allow me to be the kind of mother that I want to be, the kind of... um, the kind of mother that I would wish for my students. And um, and also kind of thinking about going back to the source um, because I felt that when I was doing law that I was really far away from children and families and I kind of wanted to be somewhere closer, um, more on the front lines. So that's how I ended up at Mariah ECC, first as a teacher and now as an assistant director and documentation and research coordinator. Um, and now at the same time, I'm also the director of communications for Ideal 18, which does intergenerational programming uh, and the co-founder and educational director of Within the Image, which um, basically offers um, exploration of imagery to adults and children as a way of making connections. That's amazing. I got those images and they're awesome. Oh, good. You have them. Yes. And I also went to Ideal 18, um, one of the talks you guys did at Paradigm Project. And I didn't know that you are also the associate or assistant director at Mm -hmm. Mariah. Is that new? So that has been since, when was it? (laughs) When on earth was it? (laughs) It was since, let's see. This, this year, the year before, so it's now been about two years. Oh wow! Two and a bit years. Mm-hmm. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. What's new for What's new for me? So I was the assistant director and in a classroom for a while. Yeah. So that's why it was like a little known fact because you know people saw that I was in the classroom. Um, but it so this past year was my first year fully out of the classroom. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, well, I shouldn't say fully out of the classroom. I should say in every classroom as right. opposed to having my own classroom. A whole school yeah. teacher. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. So, yeah. And so with documentation being what we're talking about today, how did you become so interested in documentation? Um, I have always been a people watcher. Um, one of my favorite places in the world to go is an airport. Um, besides for the fact of wherever I'm going, that is usually exciting to me. I love to sit and watch people. So it kind of came naturally to me to be an observer. 
Um, and in addition, I think coming from the perspective of having been an attorney and having been in Teach for America, um, I see documentation as a huge opportunity for advocacy for our field and for children. I think that it's an opportunity to give children's voices a megaphone, uh, whereas people may see them as cute, you know, or sweet. Uh, and they are so cute and sweet, and they are so much more. So I think it's a really important tool for giving children a, a voice um, and, and kind of broadcasting their competency. And it's also, I think, a really huge tool for us as early childhood educators to broadcast our competency and our professionalism and that this is so much more than um, you know a babysitting group. We totally agree. And those kind of get into the reasons, you kind of got into the reasons about why you should document, but just for somebody who isn't familiar with it as much, or at least with yeah. this kind of brand of documenting, um, how yeah. would you define it? So I will take what I um, heard from um, a colleague and mentor of mine, Sonia Shaptow, and say that we are learning about children from children. And mm-hmm. then I'm gonna add, that we're using what we learn about the children to enhance the lives of the children, the families, and the staff um, by creating shared bonds and goals as well as professional development. That's amazing. So there's so much to cover here, but we know that you have some areas that you're extra passionate about. So we're going to start there. And you mentioned... Perfect. Yes. So you mentioned that you feel documentation is an active process that informs learning and rather it's not something to just fill wall space and we'd love to have you speak a little bit more about that and what do you mean by like informs the learning sure so I think sometimes when we think about documentation um, sometimes people think of like a bulletin board or people think about reporting Right. So reporting would be I see what happens in front of me. You know, the children, uh, the children went to the park today. Um, They went down the slide today. They painted today. Right. That's that's reporting, which is all well and good. And it definitely has its place. Right. Parents want to know what did my child do today, for example. And then there's pedagogical documentation, which is basically sharing learning. And it's just as much for the teachers and the families as it is for the children. So if I go to the park and I decide that I'm going to, um, that I'm going to be active in a process that informs learning, rather than saying the children went down the slide today, I might observe, you know, that the children, um, the children noticed that if they went on their stomachs, they went down the slide faster. Then the children experimented with going down the slide backwards. They noticed that when they went backwards, they went slower. The children seemed to want to go down the slide faster, right? So the children are engaged in a process of experimentation with weight and position and gravity. Um, So therefore, we're going to be supporting them in their exploration of the world by offering them different things in the classroom tomorrow that explore those concepts. So that would be an active process that informs the learning that's gonna happen in the room the next day. Seeing what the children are interested in, understanding it from kind of a broader context, and then 
really reinserting those concepts into my provocations and invitations that I'm going to put out the next day in my class. I think that's so important, like un- the understanding from a broader context part, because it helps you kind of hone in on, on what the learning areas really are so okay. that you can bring back into your classroom the next day. And just, I guess, talking more about putting documentation out when you're either like culminating a study or maybe it's all in process still. But what would you say to um, teachers who feel pressure to fill hallways with work, even if it doesn't necessarily tell a story like that, maybe because they feel pressure from parents or administrators? Yeah. Um, I guess one of the things that I'm I'm thinking about right now um, in our own practice is what I observed at Boulder Journey School is that all of the hallway documentation is historical, meaning that um, when they've culminated something in a classroom, they've really put some time into creating a thought-provoking, well-balanced, respectful-looking piece of documentation, and that's what lives in the hallways. And then in the rooms is all the trails and traces of what's happening in the moment in the classroom. So that struck me as a pretty good way to make sure that the walls aren't bare and at the same time to make sure that less is more uh, in the sense that we, what we really want is to create some high quality documentation rather than a lot of kind of surfacey level things. Historical documentation of, of things that have gone on can be such a good way to, to get that taken care of. And then you're saying that you can see more in the classroom um, of the current learning? Exactly, yeah. So the way they have it set up is that the hallway, um, you know, for example, in the hallway they have uh, an area that was dedicated to this amazing spaceship, you know, and space exploration that the children did. uh, And they've put some real time and money into making it look respectful and beautiful so that it is preserved. Um, and you can see that the teachers have really reflected on it and there's analysis to it and that stays. And I don't know how long it'll stay for, but it's been there for years now. And, uh, and it's inspired other children who come to look at it, uh, to be curious about space. So that serves kind of a dual purpose, right? So it's historical, it's inspirational. Um, when you know that something is going to be up for more than a few months, you're more, Uh, more prepared to spend some significant time really tying up all those loose ends. Uh, And then it gives the teachers the space and the time to sit and create that high-quality work within the classroom of what's going on in the moment. Right. And you mentioned that it can inspire children to do more or explore further or explore it in their own way when you have high-quality documentation. And I think it would be cool if you spoke about using documentation with children. How, how can you actively use it with children in your classroom? Absolutely. Um, so one of, the, one of the ways that I just mentioned inspiration, um, I can just kind of tell a quick story that when I was in a classroom, um, I was going through an archive of documentation from years past in the classroom and came across... I uh, came across a facade, a facade project that the children had done 10 years prior in that same space. And as I was looking at it, a few children kind of got curious about it because I think they saw that I was really interested in it. And they came over and we were looking at it together. 
and they decided that they would like to create a facade. And um, when we went outside to do sketching and things like that, they were interested in a completely different way than the children 10 years prior were interested in. It took a new direction. Ultimately, what happened is we used pieces of the old facade and the children added to it in a new way. And so there was this like collaboration through time and space of the children 10 years prior and the children in the moment that was only able to occur because the, we had documentation to look at of what had happened, which was kind of that inspiration, that fuel um, for our project that took, I mean, we spent months on it. Uh, something else is that I think a lot of times as teachers, we are so strapped for time and we're always thinking, when are we going to reflect on this? When are we going to look at this? Right? We took this video footage of this amazing moment. When are we going to sit down and watch it? And what I like to say is that I like to watch it with my children. So I bring in a laptop or the, um, or the iPad and I play it and we watch it together because it creates, um, a metacognitive conversation for the children. They can sit and think about their own thinking. Um, they make comments while we're watching the video that I document. So they're really able to reflect on themselves by either watching the video back or reading the conversation back to them and asking them what they think about it. Um, so that's how I think we can use documentation with children. I love that. A lot of times we'll put documentation away and forget about it but it is such like a living breathing thing because it can just um promote like so much more creativity i think that's so cool i think that's something that um would really help a lot of teachers that that struggle with it and just struggle with like what to feeling like they don't know what to do with their classroom or with their documentation is just always you can present it to the kids and see what happens. Yeah. I think something else that a lot of educators struggle with is getting started and feeling uh-huh. like, wow, where do I start with all this? What do I do? Like, what do I write? What do I take pictures of? What do I gather from the children? So um, can you tell us a little bit about your process with that? Sure. So there's really two things that I find very helpful when it comes to, you know, the getting started piece. The first is creating some questions. So um, if I, you know, I think about it like a horse carriage ride, right? Um, when they're not that I, you know, advocate for what they do to horse, horses in Chicago with the horse carriage rides, but they put they almost, you know, put those things over their eyes that keep their eyes looking straight. Blinders, um, right. Yeah, blinders, exactly. Um, and I really think that when we walk into a classroom, it's kind of like a horse without blinders. There's so much going on. There's somebody who always needs something. Um, you know, there's a hundred different things going on in a room at any given moment. And I think that if we walk in looking at all of it, we don't really go have a chance to go deep into any of it. So before we kind of walk in, what I would say is, what are our questions about these children? What do we want to know about them? Or what are what are their curiosities about the world that they're showing us? And I think once we have those questions, so for example, if I'm going to go in and do clay in a studio with three children, my question might be, um, how do these children respond to the challenge of creating a three-dimensional object that will stand on itself, right? Or how will they solve a, the cognitive knot of, um, 
of clay that's hardened, right, if I put out water on the table? So those are all questions that give me kind of those blinders that I have an idea of what I'm going to document before I walk into the room. And then when I see it happening, it's like the light bulb goes off in my head. Aha, there it is. Time to catch this moment. Um, the other thing that I think is really just deep observation um, and time for reflection. So I think that a lot of times we'll, we'll see children, we'll watch what they're doing, but then we don't give ourselves the time to go back and look at our notes or look at the video or play the tape recorder and say, you know, what is this child really wanting to learn about? Um, it's almost like looking at a pointillist painting from really up close. It's just a bunch of dots that seem kind of unconnected, but when we stand back and take it all in, then it forms a picture. So I think that when we understand what a child, what a child wants to learn or we understand what our own questions are, then we can go in with a specific purpose and it helps guide what things we actually document and what things we leave alone. Right, that understanding is so important. And I also think too, just the being mindful that you do want to doc that you do want to document and and maybe making like your time like you're saying if you're going to um, have children work with clay then it's probably a good idea to think like okay I'm going to document some of this and yeah. you spoke a lot about finding time to reflect and let's just get into that so can you share your experience on on reflecting um, on documentation and kind of your process on that as well Sure. Um, there really is no substitute for having regular time to reflect on documentation. Uh, and I know that in terms of scheduling, um, it takes, it really does take support from the school to create that time. It, it's an expense. And at the same time, you really don't get the same benefits from documenting if it just sits in a notebook. Uh, without the reflective piece because the reflective piece is what brings us that professional development it's what brings us the understanding of the children that forms the relationship it's what brings us those amazing learning moments that we can share with the families so all those deep benefits of documentation really happen when we are able to sit with it and kind of stew in it and and what does that look like for you so we, this past year, we implemented meetings every other week where classroom teams will sit down with me and bring in documentation. So it might be a video, it might be notes and photographs or a recording, and we'll sit as a team and we'll really dissect it, really go through it, uh, and kind of look for patterns, look for ideas, look for what theories children are making, look for um, what the documentation might tell us about a child's personality or the way that they learn. So we're kind of looking for all of those things together as a group and everybody will have something to share and add. And once we've analyzed it, the question then becomes, okay, so where, where do we go from here? Now that we have this information, how is this information going to impact the classroom's curriculum? So you're really giving teachers the time to kind of bounce off um, another person and their um, maybe co-teachers as well? Yes. Uh, documentation is not meant to be a solitary 
activity. And I know that sometimes it ends up being that way because we're pressed for time. But at the end of the day, when we have more than one perspective, we really get a more rich picture of what happened. Right. It's kind of talk. It's kind of like how you're saying before getting that broader um, picture, the bigger picture of things um, that the child that the children are doing. Like I, I feel like there have been times where I've struggled to see like the bigger picture, but I know something is happening, something good. Right. And right. And Lindsay will be able to be like, oh, they're doing this, and I'll be like, oh. And then I think that's awesome to have. Exactly. And um, before we get into documenting with teams and how that looks. Um, I just want to go back to um, putting documentation out and um, how does it, how should it look? Like, what can it look like? How should it not look um, when we're thinking about uh, really showcasing competency um, and respect? What is your take on that? Yeah, I think, right, the idea is, is that if we're communicating competency and respect, then it should look, you know, in a certain way professional. Um, it can be as creative as we want it to be. Uh, and at the same time, consider the amount of time that we have to complete the documentation and think about, are we using, are we using the bulk of our time to, you know, to make it look beautiful and is the content suffering or are we spending all of our time on the content and not making it look respectful? So there definitely has to be a balance between it being physically attractive and, you know, the layout, uh, the layout kind of screaming competency and also what's actually in the piece of documentation. And I think that nowadays, you know, we have Publisher and we have, you know, Google Docs and, um, you know, we have the nice printers. But there's, there's a lot of tools out there nowadays that can kind of help us with all of that. And also, I know that um, I always joke that I am coordinately challenged. Like if I want to hang something straight, I will call a co-teacher or a colleague who that's, you know, she, she hangs everything perfectly and I know I don't. So I know that I, you know, and she calls me when she wants to write something concisely and is struggling with that. So I think that in terms of documentation styles, it's really, especially because we work in teams, knowing each other's strengths and really using each other's strengths and assets to collaborate. Totally. I think, again, that teamwork, me and Lindsay were laughing because (laughs) we're always doing that sort of thing with is this hanging straight and and all that sort of stuff? Um, so yeah, I guess let's get into teams. Um, what do you think are some of the benefits besides what we already talked about? If you have any more um, for documenting as a team. So I think that um, when you have a team, you can really plan out ahead of time. You can you know. I'll sit down with my teammates and say, okay, we know that, you know, you want to have a conversation about, um, you know, let's just say space this week. And I want to have a conversation about lighting the candles on Shabbat. And, you know, my third co-teacher wants to do an experiment with water 
because the children were interested in how water flows. So how are we going to support each other? And then it's really knocking out the nuts and bolts of who is going to be asking what questions, who is going to be holding the camera, who is going to be videotaping if we're videotaping, who is going to be the person who's kind of overseeing the rest of the room and making sure that everybody else gets what they need so that we're not interrupted 500 times. So I think that when we work as a team, we can really go deep in terms of our documentation because we know exactly what role everybody's playing. This brings up an awesome point about really making sure that everybody is on the same page. And just when we talk about teachers as researchers, I feel like that brings um, a certain level of like dignity and a certain level of importance to the work that we do. And I think everybody needs to be on that same page because if they're not, they're not going to see the importance of, okay, it's your turn to make sure that we're not being interrupted like a million times and overseeing um, all the other stuff that's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I even think about when I was a grade school teacher and, you know, you have some teachers that would do the same exact curriculum every year with the same worksheet on the same day and the same books. And I just thought to myself, how don't they burn out? Like when we walk into our classrooms and we're a team that wonders together and gets curious together and gets excited to learn with the children together, I, I feel like it energizes our work. It keeps us excited. Uh, and we're basically co-creating a culture of curiosity with the children. So I think that having teachers that are all even just on the same page with the importance of creating a culture of wonder, it really changes the energy in a classroom. Yes, I agree. It's given me and Lindsay so much like pride in what we do. And I also think, I don't want this to sound like to come out the wrong way, but I think it makes early childhood education something hard. And I want to be doing something that is hard to do. You know, I don't I don't want a career in something that was just easy that I could just like float by in. Um, and, and I think that researching really brings that to it. Yes. And I think that it also really, really elevates our field in that, you know, I think we've all taken course, you know, early childhood courses where you get kind of the studies, right, studies about children and we know what the studies say. We've read the books. And at the same time, we are in a really unique position to create a body of practitioner research that really doesn't yet exist in a robust way for early childhood and certainly not for Jewish early childhood. And so to think about the fact that we're really kind of on that forefront of a movement towards professionalizing Jewish early childhood is exciting. Yes, I agree. Um, it's super exciting. And while we're on the topic of Jewish early childhood, um, I do want to ask you about documenting within the lenses, the Jewish lenses. Yeah. And, and before we get into that, could you just give like an overview for people who don't know like how the Jewish lenses are used? And, and you could go into a couple of them. Sure. So the way that I kind of see the lenses in a nutshell is that um, what, as Jewish early childhood educators, we really see everything from a Jewish vantage point, 
from a Jewish outlook. So if we think about the way that we would put lenses, glasses on our eyes, if they were tinted, they would impact the way that we observe the world. So everything that we see is with this vantage point. So for example, if I'm thinking about the lens of Tselem being made in the image of God, when I see a child who's three years old that's using a knife uh, or a grater to cut potatoes or to chop vegetables for a salad, somebody might say to me, well, wait a minute, how are you going to let a three-year-old use a knife or how are you going to let them use a grater? And I would say to them, because this child, it's Selim Akim, they're competent, they're made in the image of God, and they understand that if they put their finger in the wrong place, they're going to get cut, and they don't want to get cut the same way that you and I don't want to get cut. So it really impacts not only the way that we see children and families, um, it also impacts the way in which we relate to them. It impacts the way in which we set up our classrooms and what materials we choose to offer them. And I also think um, the lenses can be used kind of like how you were saying before as framing questions, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, this year, in, for the past two years, uh, Mariah ECC has had like a research intent, a school-wide intent. Um, each of the classrooms could make their own questions according to the teacher's curiosities. But there was an idea that we were all researching something together. So, for example, for the past two years, we've been researching Kehila, which we translate as covenantal community. So all of the teachers, we all studied together uh, what Judaism has to say about community and what that means to us. And then each classroom really thought about what a classroom community or a family community means to each classroom. And it really gave us a vocabulary of togetherness that we were all thinking about the same thing and seeing what was happening across the school through the same vantage point. That's awesome. Yeah, I think they're great for just keeping the research always interesting and always um, alive, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, well, almost lastly, <laughs> um, what has surprised you about seriously documenting the learning of children? I think two things. First is how children are so aware that we see them as important when we document them. I was in a three-year-old classroom and it was lunchtime and we always schmooze around the lunch table. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of amazing conversations around the lunch table all the time that can be documented. But I was eating at that moment with the children and they were getting into a conversation and one child stopped everyone, was like, wait, Sharon, where's your notebook? This is important. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, you're right. I don't have my notebook. So then I went and I got the notebook. But it really highlighted for me how children have that understanding that when we write down their words, when we record their words, when we document them, we're giving them importance. We're giving them a space in the world that they wouldn't otherwise have. So that's something that that surprised me was the real awareness on the part of children. The other thing that surprised me is how much I've learned about children that doesn't necessarily coincide with books on development. 
So I could read a book about development that will tell me that infants um, do not engage in cooperative play. And yet that's not what I observed when I researched the infants at our school. Or a book on development might tell me about how two-year-olds are still all ego. And yet when we conducted research on two-year-olds and their um, propensity to do chesed, to do acts of loving kindness, you know, people said to us, well, wait a minute, they're doing it for the praise. So we said, okay, let's take away the praise. And they still did it. And they said, well, they're doing it because it feels good, right? So it's really fascinating to me that what we see in front of us is not always what matches up with what we've learned. I love that. I think that that brings an even uh, more special level to all of this, like kind of okay, this isn't what I see and that's okay that I that I don't agree with this textbook and it's up to me to to learn more about what I'm seeing. So I can say, no, that's that's not what we see at all. I think that's awesome. Okay, takeaways. So we really want to give teachers some takeaways that they can bring into their classroom uh, when it comes to documentation and documenting. Do you have a couple things that you think are the most important things to think about in documentation? Sure. So I would say that while there can be these serendipitous moments, these magical moments that we catch in a classroom, I would say that in my experience, high-quality documentation tends to come more often from really careful planning. Um, So if I had advice for teachers, it would be, Really think about in advance what questions do you have that you want to ask? What, su- what materials do you have out in the classroom that support those questions? Um, what questions are the children eliciting? Who's holding the camera? Are you filming it or are you writing it? Like really those nuts and bolts, as well as when is the teacher planning to sit down and look at what they wrote down? and really take a step back and and think about it. I think that all that careful planning is really crucial to creating documentation that's more than just a report of what happened. That's great. And I think, too, that piece about um, your team being on board and all on the same page, I think, goes along with what you were just saying. Absolutely. Hopefully all that careful planning is happening with the team. Right. Okay, great. Um... I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I guess I would say the only thing for new teachers, because I know sometimes people say, well, where would you start a new teacher who's just kind of getting their feet wet? Um, I would say just with observing. uh, And I think sometimes we kind of have this instinct before we can articulate it. So we might kind of like what you said about, about catching a moment and saying there's something special going on here. I think that happens to a lot of us, and actually it's not only new teachers, it's sometimes us veteran teachers too, that say there's something going on here, I don't exactly know yet what it is, but there's something brewing here, and to just observe it and write it down, or videotape it, or tape record it, and then to be able to sit with someone later and say, you know, kind of like what you said, hey, something special happened here, but I'm not quite sure what happened, like, help me figure this one out. I think that's that's kind of a, a great place to start to just listen to our gut. Right. Just do it. Don't 
think overthink it and and ask for help i think mm -hmm. absolutely awesome. thank you so much sharon this was amazing you are so knowledgeable on this area and i know many other areas as well yes thank you so thank much you. i was like I forgot to take notes at the beginning because I was like so in the mode. <laughs> I was like, wait, she's saying the best things. And then all of a sudden I said, I was like, wait, I'm not taking notes. <laughs> no. I'll have to go back to it. But you, there were it's so many. Good. Like, That's why we tape record. I know. There were so many great tape. little gems that you had in there that we'll definitely put in the takeaways. And... Yeah. All right. All right. You guys. Well, guys well, thank thank you. you so much. Thank you so Pleasure. much. Have good a great day. And Thanks, we'll definitely be in touch when we get it all okay. together. Sounds great. Thanks, okay. Sharon. Sure. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. So that's our show. If you would like to learn more about Sharon's program, Ideal 18, you can head to ideal18.org. That's I-D-E-A-L-1-8 dot org. To learn more about the topics we covered in today's episode, go to www.thereflectiveteacherpodcast.com. That's our website, and on it we post show notes for each episode and resources so you can learn more about each topic we discuss. While you're there, make sure you subscribe to our mailing list so you can stay up to date on all things Reflective Teacher Podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Reflective Teacher Podcast, or find us on Facebook under the same name. Thanks for listening!